there's like two camps of horse people. And it's like, either you absolutely love Arabians and you think they are like so beautiful, so special, or you don't like them at all. When Nadia is talking about them picking up on emotions, it's like, I have zero doubt that that is in fact the case, but I'd never thought about it in the context of leadership training and emotional processing. And so I just think the work that you're doing is so unique and special. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And yeah, yeah, I agree. There are people who love the, like, I think in the horse industry, the Arabians have like a special reputation. It's a bit like, you come into a place with an Arabian and people are like, first of all, wow. But then also they're like, oh, crazy Arabian. They're just like, yeah, whatever. Hey, hey, welcome back to the show. I'm super excited for today's episode. And before I dive in, I have to say I'm blown away that listeners like you have downloaded this podcast more than 10,000 times. Unbelievable. As a way to give back and provide insane value for free, I'd like to invite you to take my Money Wounds quiz. In just six questions, you'll get insights into your relationship with money that will feel so accurate. And then you get access to my free masterclass on how to heal your money wounds. Just go to moneywoundsquiz.com to start. Hello, welcome back to the show. Oh my goodness, what a week it has been. I did a full day, multiple location, 15 outfit photo shoot this week. And I feel like I'm going to need to record an entire podcast episode on it because honestly, there were so many learnings and just things that I had to navigate through the process that have been very, very transformative. But I'm so happy to have it behind me because the thing is a lot of the shots involved my husband and my kids as well. So it wasn't even just the planning and logistics for me and all the outfits, but then also figuring it all out for Jeff and the kids and the weather did not exactly cooperate. So there were just a lot of wild cards, but mostly I'm just so grateful to be on the other side of it. And I trust that we'll have plenty of beautiful images to choose from. And yeah, hallelujah. It is done. I was like walking around the house being like, the photo shoot is done. I'm so glad. It's like when you're leading up to anything of that size and magnitude, there's just like weeks and weeks and weeks of planning. And it feels so good to know that it is done and we're on the other side. And I'm starting to really sink into the energy of reflection on 2022 and also the energy of planning into 2023. So, That's kind of been my vibe. And traditionally, I tend to do it in November just because I find that December, I'm just in the celebration of the holiday spirit. And so November feels like, I don't know, this kind of cozy time. Plus, it's the month of gratitude. And just it feels like the energy lends itself to reflecting on what went well this year, what you want to change, what we want next year to look like. And so with that, I've been going to be mapping out what I'm going to be offering in 2023. I know for sure I'm going to do two retreats. So it's going to be one in the spring and one in the fall. I kind of have locations already picked out, but I haven't announced them yet. And the people who are going to get to find out first are the people on my wait list. So the advantage of me releasing both of them before the year even starts is that it makes it so much more affordable. So let's say that you've really wanted to go on a retreat with me, but you're like, oh, financially, I don't know if I can swing it. 
Well, if you sign up for the one in October, you can do a really doable payment plan over the course of 10 months and have it paid well in advance of when the retreat starts. So that's kind of the vibe. If you go to emilywilcox.com slash retreats, you can get on the wait list and you'll get access to exclusive discounts. You'll be the first to know because obviously spots are limited. We all stay in one house together and I don't want like everybody in bunk beds in every corner of the house. So they tend to be smaller and more intimate gatherings. And so there just aren't that many spaces. And I have a lot of current clients who want to go on all my retreats. So join the wait list if it has been on your vision board to do a retreat together with me because the spots will go fast for 2023. I'm also starting to fill mastermind and private coaching spots for 2023 as well. So if you know that part of your vision for next year is to have really, you know, intimate and personalized, customized, high-level support, slide into my DMs and let me know and we can explore working together. I have an incredible interview today to share with you on the show. This is someone who the power of the internet brought us together and She actually shares a childhood passion of mine. So it was really fun in this interview just to dive back into the world of Arabian horses. And she's more on the breeding side, whereas I was like going to all the horse shows. But it's really, really fun to go there. And I will tell you the way that she is working with Arabian horses is so unique. I've never, ever heard anyone doing anything like this. So the guest today is Nadia Borsch, and she trains leaders on leadership, business, emotional intelligence. It's really her mission to create powerful female leaders that are magnetic and full of energy and empowered and conscious. The really cool thing is that she often uses co-coaches, and the co-coaches are the horses. This is unreal. So she had this like marketing background, worked with Fortune 500 companies, started consulting business, and now she's like coaching other coaches. She's doing leadership development coaching, and she's doing Arabian horse breeding and bringing the horses into the coaching business as well. It's really incredible. You're going to want to hear this. I had a million questions about how it actually works and how she uses the horses to pick up on the energy with her clients and help with decision-making. And so we really get into the nitty-gritty details. You're going to want to listen to the very end. So without further ado, here is the interview. Nadia, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And I cannot wait to interview you because you and I bonded over Arabian horses. Yes, we did. <laughs> yes. Like we're in a paid community together that's all about like female empowerment, growing your business and manifestation. And you were like, I breed black Arabian horses. And I'm like, wait, what? Like I grew up with a black Arabian horse and did the whole Arabian show circuit. So I kind of just want to start there. Like, how did you get into horses? How did I get into horses? It's very funny because I don't have a family background with horses. Like I was just drawn to them. Like I have a a very, very highly spiritual connection to animals ever since I've been a small kid, even though we never had any animals at home. So I wasn't even allowed to keep a mouse as a pet, you know? Oh my gosh. That is wild. Yeah, indeed it is. And 
I was just magically always drawn to them. And I bullied my parents until they would take me horseback riding. And then, so I actually started breaking in a lot of Arabian horses. So I worked kind of volunteered, let's say, at an Arabian horse farm that was two and a half hours away from home. So every Sunday, whilst everybody else was on their Saturdays, you know, young teenagers going out partying, I was like, no, I need to go to the horses on Sunday morning. I need to get up at five o'clock and like be there early, bright and shiny and break in some wild Arabian stallions. So that's what (laughs) I did. And uh, yeah, and then I was able to convince my dad after fighting and fighting and fighting that he would buy me my first horse. And I think that has been one of the best days of my life ever. Oh, I love that so much. It is interesting to me, like how some of us just had the horse bug and some don't because I was horse crazy as a kid. Now, granted, my family had horses before I was born. So I was like born into it. But my daughter, like she's not that into it. Like she likes horses and I'll send her to horse camp for like a week during the summer. But we had access to horses like for free here where I live, which in Southern California is not the easiest thing. It's not like I grew up in rural Michigan and like every other person had, you know, horses in their backyard. (laughs) So we had access to these horses and I'm like, I'll teach you and we can trail ride. And we did it a little bit, but she was not begging me. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to push it on you because if it's not your thing, it's not your thing. And I truly believe that for the little girls that are horse obsessed, they're like you. There's no convincing needed, you know? (laughs) They just do whatever. Those little horse girls, they're like crazy into like, doesn't, no matter what it takes, like I'll do anything and uh, I'll break in horses. I'll do a clean, I'll muck out stalls, you know, whatever it takes. Like I'm your girl. (laughs) Totally. Cause the way I grew up, I mean, our horses were like half trained at best. And so you know, like you'd get bucked off, like things would happen. It was not an easy go of it by any means, but that didn't deter me at all. (laughs) And then I feel like I see the kids out here and they're like, so soft, man. The trainers (laughs) are like tacking up their horse for them. And so they just like get put in the saddle and, you know, they've been taking lessons for six months and they've never cantered. And I'm like, wait, what's happening here? But they're so afraid of falling off. And I'm like, you're going to fall off if you ride horses. Like at some point that will happen. It's like, they might as well roll them, you know, in, uh, in cotton buds, you know, (laughs) so that when they fall off, they have a soft landing. And it's like, we practiced falling off horses by just like riding bareback and just sliding off or rolling off the back or whatever. We rode without helmets. You know, we were the generation that rode without helmets today. If you see anybody anywhere riding without a helmet, like, I understand and and it's good. Yeah. <laughs> Kept me wrong, but the shift is just massive from like riding around bareback on some wild stallions through, you know, whatever fields. Yeah. Kind of going, okay, if I fall off, I just get back on. And uh, to, you know, you have to wear a helmet and you have to do this and this is the way you do it and you cannot and da 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 da. da. It's right. very different. Right. Totally. Yeah. Same. I'm team helmet. And also, I did not wear one growing up. And like you, like, I just think that like, there's so much in the exploration and the playfulness, like it shouldn't be all here are the techniques and here's the proper way to do everything. You know, we would just play games with our horses and like 
come up with patterns and find logs to jump and just all kinds of things that made it fun and I think like developed relationship. So you finally convinced your dad to get you a horse. Did you ever imagine that horses would be a part of your career? I always wanted them to be desperately. It was always my vision, my mission, my heart's desire. But what happened was that my family, like when my dad bought me that horse, it started like this family war. Mm. Literally, it was that was just it was a disaster. And at the same time, it was, you know, my grandparents calling and being like, now she's going to be a writing teacher. She's never going to be successful. Never is going to be like, she's never going to make it to anything, you know? So it was very hard to imagine that I would ever, ever, ever do anything related to horses because it was like, from the day I started with this horse thing, my family was like putting all these limiting beliefs into me, like, you can never, ever make money with horses. All people like look at my mom would point out to me like, you know, we come from very, I would say, wealthy background. And so we would go to polo matches or we would go to certain events. And my mom would point out to me all the people that had horses and telling me like, so this family used to have, I don't know how many hundreds of millions and they just went broke because they built a horse mm. farm, right? Or this family just had to sell, I don't know how much property because they had to keep the polo horses. And it was just, you know, she just kept giving me these examples. So all the limited beliefs were imprinted on me of like fighting about money and fighting about all things like this whole family drama. And then on the other end, this like, you can never, ever, ever make money with horses, right? That was oh like in me since this <laughs> Man, way to take something that is like your child's heartfelt passion and desire <laughs> and just throw all kinds of wild conditioning on top of it. Like this is going to be the source of conflict. This will be the reason you go broke. Wait, what? Like what happened to just supporting our kids and being like, oh, okay, if you desire it, let's find a way to make it happen. Exactly. Yeah. That was like, not in our family. What's not going to happen? It was like, we'll support you as long as you take a traditional career path. We'll support you all the way. Like, just And you did, right? You took a traditional career path. I did. Yeah. I studied business administration. I have a degree in business. Uh, I did 10 years marketing strategy in corporate. I founded a marketing strategy company, you know, like a consultancy. So I did all that. <laughs> but at some point I was like, yeah, that's all great. I love doing all of that. Yeah. But my heart, like my burning heart's desire was always with the horses. Always. So how did you start breeding Black Arabians? So the first stallion that I bought, actually, it was a funny story because he was Black, but throughout the years, he became gray, so mm. white. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I always had this dream of the Black black stallion, and my first one then turned out white, and that was very upsetting in a way. <laughs> Even though everybody told me like it wasn't like somebody cheated. It was they said, look, he's got white hairs all over. Like he's gonna be white someday. But right. he was four or five when we bought him. So I figured it's gonna take a long time. And then I bought my first black mare. Like I started looking for a black Arabian stallion to buy, but they were either completely out of budget or too old or too young or too whatever. And so I was like, you know what? I'll just buy a mare and I'll start with that and I'll start breeding with her. That may be easier. So I how, how much did you spend? 
I spent 12,500 euros. And that was at that time, I mean, I was a student for me, that was like an insane amount of money that was like, oh my God, like, how can you spend this on a horse? What other people buy a car for, you know? Right. (laughs) Yeah. And once you have the horse, they're not free to maintain either. (laughs) Exactly. So I was like, and then I had two horses to maintain and I was like, okay. And then my stallion died very tragically one day to the other. And Mm. I wanted to give up. I want to just, I don't want to have anything to do anymore. Well, I think if I wouldn't have had the mare, I would have just been done with it because that was so traumatic for me. He was my best buddy, my best friend and everything. So that was so traumatic that I was like, okay, but I had the mare. So I had to go back and take care of her. Yeah. And then I let go of the breeding thing completely for a while. And I was just into riding. And then at some point I was like, you know, one fall would be nice. And then I started researching stallions and I visited a breeder in Germany. And then there was this other mare that was also really amazing. And I fell in love with that mare. And then I ended up buying that mare. (laughs) So then I had two mares and I started breeding with both of them. And then I bought a third one. And then it was kind of like, you know, it started, it started going. But the most interesting thing was that before I really started breeding, so when I was doing my research of like which bloodlines and what do I like and all the things, I stumbled across one mare that I absolutely love, but the owner was like, yeah, she's not for sale ever. And I always Mm -hmm. said to her, if ever, ever, ever you change your mind, like, please call me. I was completely mesmerized by this mare. And she, one day she called me, she said, okay, well, she's not for sale, but I would be willing to lease her to you. Mm. Okay, sure. That sounds amazing. So we did our agreement on the lease and I bred her to this up and coming stallion. And out of this, this resulted in my stallion that I have now that just Ah. flew to Dubai yesterday. Oh my gosh. So that was the first horse that I bred was this stallion. And when he was born, it was just like, wow, this is really next level. Like I didn't, it was more luck than anything else, to be honest, because I was just like, oh, I like this and I like this and I'll put it together and see what comes out. And I know, "Mm, but I didn't really have any clue about breeding. I mean, (laughs) I had no idea. So it was extremely lucky in so many ways. Well, you probably followed your intuition. (laughs) Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent, all yeah. the way. Like through my breeding, all my breeding decisions are hundred percent intuition all the way, and in my intuition has been a very good guide. Now <laughs> I have to say, yeah, this is amazing. Okay, so how many horses do you own now? Uh, today, twelve. 12. Yeah. Okay. It always changes because one sells and one is newborn and then right. <laughs> so 12. So like, just give us a few highlights, like maybe what's the most expensive horse that you bought? What's the most expensive one you've sold? Like, I think it's just fun for people to play with these numbers, especially in an industry that a lot of people don't know anything about. Yeah. So for me, what was really interesting was the year I started like last year. So 2021 was the first year I crossed six figures with the horse breeding Mm. and I freaked out. I freaked out. It was just before Christmas. And I was just like, oh my God, I can't believe this. Like, this is insane. And then I was even debating with myself because it was like 92,000 euros, but Mm. on payment plan to next year. And I was like, 
does this count? Does it not count? <laughs> what right. are we going to do? Right. And I can share a really interesting story on that because I was supposed to do a business deal that was supposed to go through in October and to sell three horses to the Middle East for 75,000 euros. Mm-hmm. And the contract was signed, different reasons. The deal didn't go through. And I was floored. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this. But to be fair, my intuition told me this is not the right owner for these horses. And so I started playing the what if game. And I said, okay, I want to attract clients. Like, wouldn't it be amazing if I could sell my horses to other women that are also Mm -hmm. breeding to other women where I know like they have the exactly the same amazing home and they like, they love them as much as I do. And I don't have to have sleepless nights about like, are they well taken care of or not? Because in a lot of places, to be honest, they're not, even though they're very expensive, it doesn't matter. And then within three, four weeks, I made almost the same amount of money selling almost the same horses to the most amazing people ever. (laughs) And, and I was just like, this is crazy. So I completely shifted my mindset around like, who is your dream client? Because I always had this, like I teach this stuff in mm-hmm. business strategy, like dream clients and attracting your dream clients and all of that. But it never occurred to me to flip that switch <laughs> onto the horse world. Right. So that was really interesting. And what I can also share, I think in terms of numbers, Yeah, I've turned down offers for my stallion that were high six figure. I've turned down offers for horses that were, yeah, 125, 150,000. I was just like, yeah, this is not going to happen. So Mm. it's a matter of like, just to give people a bit of idea of numbers. The most expensive one, I think it was like 35,000, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that was the most expensive one. And you have found some really creative ways to work with horses and also work with clients who want to up their manifestation game. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So the breeding really, I still see it, even though it generates six figure, I still see it as a hobby. My main business is actually the coaching part. And I have found that the horses are so extremely sensitive when it comes to reading our energy field. And in particular, Arabian horses, because Arabian horses, they are the closest ones to humans. So they were raised in the desert. They slept with the Bedouins in their tents. A lot of people like, I know you know all this, but I know probably people who hear this the first time, they're like, you need to imagine that like these people are living in tents And the women sleep in a separate tent and the horses sleep with them in the tent. (laughs) That's how valuable they are. But that's also how close the connection to the human is. And they react to nuances in your energy, in your way of being, the way you feel, like everything you feel, they feel. And it's really easy for me to work with them because they react so obviously that like, you have a thought in your mind and the horses show it immediately. And they don't only show it for me, they show it for my clients. And so this is what's been really powerful as I work with them energetically in different areas. So I work with them on leadership. I work with them on sales. I work with them on speaking. I work with them on manifestation. I work with them on like team buildings with corporates. And 
And it's amazing what happens. Like sometimes I'm just standing there and I'm mesmerized and I'm like, did this just really happen? Like, did everybody see this? Like, did this just actually happen? Because there's so many crazy things that the horses feel and the way they act. It's especially mm. when we project onto them and, and we give them a role and we say like, okay, this is your boss and this is and this is this person and this is that person. And then they act like that person, the role they're given. Yeah. And people are like, how? <laughs> how do they know? <laughs> I mean, the level of creativity that you've like to come up with this idea, I've never heard of this, like assigning a, a role to the horse. How did you come up with that? Oh, that started with a really, with a really funny story. So I was educating somebody to be a horse assisted coach. And then we had to use somebody to test on. So I took my dad and my dad is suffering from Alzheimer's. And the results we had with him were astonishing because all of a sudden he could grasp concepts that he had forgotten for a very long time. Like he couldn't understand numbers anymore. And all of a sudden he had his numbers very clear. And we were working on, he was getting divorced at the time and we were working on his divorce. And then we were working with two horses and the one horse he was holding and the other one was all of a sudden she started running around like a madness, like (laughs) really up and down, you know, typical Arabia, like snorty, blowy, tail up, full of drama. (laughs) And, and I was like, that's interesting because also in these horse coaching settings, nothing ever happens by coincidence, like everything that happens there happens for a reason. Mm. And so I asked my dad, then I was like, who is that horse? And he said, it's my ex-wife. <laughs> <laughs> she, was and she was behaving. And I said, why? And he said, because she behaves exactly like her. She's not calming down. We've been trying to talk to her. We've been trying to catch her and she just <laughs> won't calm down. <laughs> and then I said to him, okay, well, you need to forgive her. And so we finally managed to catch her. And then he took rounds with her and he started like doing exercises with her and talking to her and and forgiving her and all the things. And at that point, she was still his wife. So four weeks later, we signed the divorce and all the things he had discussed with horse Uh wife became reality in the divorce papers. So the amount of money he was going to pay, like all the things that he had discussed with horse wife was then reality. And then I started like, okay, (laughs) we need to uh, take this to the next level. And then I started using it with people to say, okay, leadership trainings, for example, like which horse would be your boss? And then the boss would come in in situations and act exactly the same way as their boss does in reality. I love this story for so many reasons. Like, first of all, that your dad said yes to this whole thing (laughs) and was like really into it and willing to participate and willing to be coached by his daughter and a horse to work on his relationship with his soon to be (laughs) ex-wife. Like, this is fantastic. I don't know if you've told this story on social media. I've not seen it. No, I have not. I have not. I don't know if it feels too personal, but honest to goodness, people need to hear this story. This is epic. (laughs) I haven't written up. I haven't posted it yet. It hasn't felt, we haven't shared publicly that he has Alzheimer's. So it didn't feel the right moment yet to share this. That's not the important part of the story. Like, no, no, that's true. (laughs) You can just omit that part if you want to. That could be a story for another day. 
That's true. We can just tell the ex-wife part. That's true. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> is that not good enough? Like, and I feel like having a video of a horse that is prancing around tail up like a flag snorting and blowing because I have the visual in my mind, but for people that don't know Arabians, they might be like, yeah. what are you talking about? But yeah, yeah, Arabians yeah. can be very dramatic. Yes. And yes. As you were talking about how tuned in Arabians are to emotions, I just wanted to add like some additional context here for people listening, because there's like two camps of horse people. And it's like, either you absolutely love Arabians and you think they are like so beautiful, so special, or you don't like them at all. And you think that they are too flighty, that they spook at everything, that they're hard to manage, that like they're just too much. And so it's like either you love the too muchness or you hate the too muchness. And to me, it feels like there are so many parallels between highly sensitive and empathic people, right? Because we feel emotions at a heightened level. We're more sensitive. We can seem like we're too much for some people. Yeah. And yet there are so many gifts in that. And it really is the same thing with Arabians. Like where I grew up in a small little town, I would go to little local horse shows and often I would be the only one riding an Arabian. Everyone else had quarter horses or paint horses or some sort of mix that was like more of a stock horse and Arabians hold their neck differently. It's just like, it's so clear if you're riding an Arabian and you know, it is true. Like they are more sensitive. They do spook at more things and they're so freaking smart. Oh yeah. my gosh. Like my horses would, I couldn't do too much, uh, practicing for a pattern because my horse would learn the pattern so fast that then she would anticipate every transition and she'd be right. early on it. Cause she'd just do the whole pattern in her head by herself. And it's like, that's how smart and sensitive they are. So when Nadia's talking about them picking up on emotions, it's like, I have zero doubt that that is in fact the case, but I'd never thought about it in the context of leadership training and emotional processing. And so I just think the work that you're doing is so unique and special. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, I agree. There are people who love the, like, I think in the horse industry, the Arabians have like a special reputation. It's a bit like, you come into a place with an Arabian and people are like, first of all, wow. But then also they're like, oh, crazy Arabian. They're just like, yeah, whatever. You know, they don't appreciate. And I also, I, I rode tournaments when I was younger with my stallion. And it was also always like against the quarter horses. Yeah, It's just a different kind of horse. You were judged differently, like all the things. But yeah. still the judges would come up to me. Like we would always be placed and the judges would come up to me and be like, oh, it's my favorite Arabian. He's so nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's yeah. a different ballgame. Okay, so the coaching is the main part of your business. The breeding is the six-figure hobby, which is <laughs> not a bad hobby. <laughs> Did you have to go through a healing process around horses and kind of undoing some of those limiting beliefs that had been projected upon you and what it was meant to be owning horses as a teenager? Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I think at some point, I'm not even sure if I'm 100% done yet. Like, I still have a lot of healing to do. And I'm happy to share that as well. The main part of the healing was really 
to believe in myself above everything else to be like, and it was so helpful that I had role models of Arabian horse breeders that were women that, you know, had this as their main business, main income stream, and that were doing extraordinarily well, and that were able to brand and position themselves that were not coming from money, you know, because in this industry, it's very easy if you're a shake, and you can buy whatever you want, you never have to think about anything. It's a very different way of breeding than if you have a limited budget and you need to make the best of what you've got and you need to make really smart choices and you don't have a hundred mares you breed with per year, but you have three, four, maybe two. So this is something where I had to work on so many beliefs, but having role models of other people and watching them and seeing like, if they can do it, so can I, Mm. and working also on the sisterhood wound a lot. Like that was a big one for me, the sisterhood wound of like, women that were or other breeders not women but other breeders that were also that had it easier than me that was something that really got to me it wasn't necessarily they were successful but it was more like oh why are people booking their stallion more than my stallion this is so unfair mm-hmm. <laughs> you know instead of being like hey if they can do it i can do it yeah so that was a big one and then receiving energy, turning around this whole thing about I can have clients that are the most amazing that love the horses as much as I can, I do. And also another big part of it was when I started the coaching with the horses, there was this whole thing around, you know, you're doing what? Like people didn't understand it. People didn't get it. And especially my parents didn't get it. So for them, it was like, we don't understand why you're no longer or why you want to do less of your marketing consulting or why you left your, you know, well-paying corporate job in order to do this. This was kind of the feeling that came across. And so I had to really just step up and just basically motivate myself by feeling the results from people. Like that's what kept me going when things were tough or rough or, you know, when when bills were unpaid or, or things were just not working as they should. I was just like, okay, it's the love for the horses that keeps me going. It's this vision and this passion that keeps me going. And it's the the results of the clients that come there that have these massive shifts and transformations in such a short amount of time. That's what keeps me going. That's my fuel. But it took me a long time to process that. And when it comes to breeding in particular, what I'm funny, you know, I just thought about it this this weekend, for example, or this year has been a big one in terms of having the feeling of belonging and having the feeling of having a chair at the table has mm. been a big one for me. Because yeah. when you're surrounded by people that, you know, the shakes of wherever and people typically the winners in this industry are people that really have a lot of resources available. Yeah. And a lot of money available. So you walk in there into that VIP area and you feel this big. <laughs> right. Up to the point, you know, where you're like, should I even dare to talk to somebody? Or is like anybody interested maybe in talking to me? You know, and it's and, and coming from the corporate world where networking is something that is very normal and very typical to a world where actually people just want to stay with by themselves and nobody actually wants to talk to you was for me like, 
how mm. can I belong here? Like, how can I connect with people? How can I, you know, even though I'm a very outgoing personality and I get along with everybody, but walking into a room of people that feel like that I put them all on pedestals, you know, I put them all on pedestals and I was like, I'm the smallest person in the room. <laughs> and I had a lot of untangling to do with that. Mm. What's your vision for the Arabian horse industry? Are there ways that you want to disrupt it or see it change? Definitely. I see that people becoming more open-minded to each other. I see a lot of sisterhood, brotherhood wounds of people that are, the jealousy is a big topic. Like that's one of the things that I really feel needs to be healed. But especially I feel that there's so many ways that we could have this vision of putting empowering female horse breeders to have more money and to see the opportunities and to be more strategic about their business. And like, this is really a vision that I have because I strongly believe that if I can break through that many limiting beliefs that my family put onto me, like I didn't grow up with a farm. I didn't grow up with backing from my parents. Quite the contrary, they blocked everything they could in order to stop me from doing what I was doing. I never yeah. even told them how many horses I had. Like every dinner, it would be like, so how many horses do you have? It's like, I don't know, maybe a handful, maybe two, you know? So, <laughs> so And that joke kept going for a long time. But I have this vision of women stepping up as breeders and more startups happening. And it's already beginning. Like I'm mentoring a lot of the women that buy horses for me. I've started to mentor them and it's become this amazing relationship and we're having so much fun and we're exchanging and we're like, it's, it's collaboration and partnerships and, and dream work and teamwork and all the things, you know, and this is what I believe is missing a lot in this industry to make that available to everybody. Mm, that's beautiful. And I love that you already are doing it. Like the change <laughs> is already in motion. So let's talk a little bit about your coaching business. How much money are you making in that business? Uh, six figures. Okay. So is it pretty even then with the breeding? It's more than the breeding, but okay. it's also, it dependent because the coaching business, like the horse, like all of the coaching parts together. Yeah. Yeah. That Got makes it. more than the breeding business, but it's not, I was surprised really when the breeding started catching up with it because I was like, huh, this is just meant to be a hobby. <laughs> yeah. I think we have to stop calling that a hobby and start calling it just, you know, one of your businesses, Potentially. one of the money channels, one of the ways that one money can money flow channels. to you. Exactly. Yeah. 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 What's your vision for your coaching business? Is there anything that you're working on manifesting there? Oh, my vision for the coaching business is really, I want to get animals in general, but particularly horses into a space where they're taken as serious tools for business, because mm -hmm. I feel there's so much they can do for us in the personal development space in general, but especially for businesses. Mm -hmm. And I think it is just massively overlooked as like a, yeah, yeah, whatever horses, blah, blah, blah right. esoteric kind of woo, woo, woo thing. So this is my vision to break that open. And also to like, I have this vision of having all of these horse coaches globally that work with people to transform their lives that work with people energetically that work with people on their leadership their sales skills like 
bringing this into business and bringing it into entrepreneurship and especially for women in confidence. This Mm. is something that I really feel that like, you notice, this is what I see with everybody, no matter what they come with. They come in a bit like slouchy, crouchy, a lot of respect for horses, some of them, a lot of fear of horses, and they walk like this and they walk out like that. And they Mm. have a completely different presence and a completely different aura. They're completely changed. It doesn't matter what topic we work on. And that is the vision that I have is just like, can we use the horses in order to have more women walking like this instead of like that? Yeah, I love that. Do you think that in order for horses to be taken seriously in the leadership development and coaching world, do you think there needs to be like studies done showing it? Or do you think if enough leaders have firsthand experience that the perception will change? I think it will have to be experiences. I think studies are not really because studies are always very quantitative, very hard to do qualitative, and it's hard to capture all this entire spectrum of what the horses can do. So that's why I think it's, and there have been a lot of studies done on like, you know, the heart rate and, and all of these things, but not like specific research. I have spoken about it actually to a professor of leadership in Switzerland. He came to one of my horse coaching workshops and he was amazed by it. Mm. We did an interview week afterwards. I asked him like, do you think we could do a study on this? And he said, yeah, we could, but it would be very complex. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, I think it's like, I watched a documentary on Netflix that was talking about psychedelics and Mm -hmm. all of the research that was done almost a hundred years ago at this point. And then now it's coming back. It's like, we're relearning that that helps with PTSD. It helps with end of life, like all of this different stuff. And they just use different like rating scales. And so they actually can sort of show the effect of how people rate their depression, their anxiety, their confidence, their whatever beforehand. And then after. So It'd be fun, even if you just did your own, right? Like had people do a little pre-survey and then post. Mm, That's a good idea. Yeah, I do think that like, of course, the best transformations are not, you know, bubbles that you can fill out on a survey, right? There's so much more than that. And sometimes we have to satisfy the mind. (laughs) (laughs) And for some people or for businesses to invest in their leadership, you know, taking this type of program, sometimes it's helpful to have the data that satisfies the mind that this isn't all made up and it actually works. And, you know, we have some data to show it as well. Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely agree. Mm -hmm. So do you have any specific ways that you call in money that involve the horses? That involve the horses? Yeah. I mean, what I teach, especially in the manifestation workshops, is really manifesting whatever their desire is. And usually it's either more clients, more money, or a partner. That's usually what they come with <laughs> when they work with manifestation. Love and money, baby. <laughs> exactly. Love and money, whatever, in whichever way or form. And this has been really interesting because you see exactly where in the manifestation process it goes wrong. The horse show exactly like, okay, this is where you're not confident. This is where you're lacking. This is where you're losing energy. Like it shows specifically. And this is something that I've been doing a lot myself as well. Like testing, for example, 
things or going through the process that I send my clients through, really being like putting it together and then testing it myself, being like, okay, so what should be, should I go this route or this route or should I invest in this? Or like, I do that a lot, like, especially when it comes to like breeding decisions, like, okay, should I take the stallion for this mare or this, or should I like this year, for example, I let the horses kind of decide if I should do an embryo transfer. So that means I'm getting two babies out of one mare and it worked. And I think that's because I use the horses as a tool in order to help me make that decision. Mm. I also use us through that process. So you're mm-hmm. like, do I do the embryo transfer? Mm-hmm. Are you asking the horse the question directly? No. So what I do, so there are different ways to ask, but one of the ways, for example, is I would put like a little cone, any object, you can also use a tree. Okay. And I would just put place that there. So this is option A, this is option B. So in this case, for example, embryo transfer, yes or no. So A is yes and B is no. So then I would take the horse. I prefer to work if I have the entire herd. So I have one horse on the lead and then the rest of the herd can just interact. Okay. And it's always the entire herd reflecting your energy when you work with them. Mm. So what you do is you first test yes or no. So that means I just think yes, or I think of something positive. Like with my clients, I usually say, think of your last vacation, right? That's usually very positive things. Like, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, I was laying on the beach and then I had mojitos and blah, blah. So they walk around with the horse around object A, and I see what does yes look like for that particular person. And then they walk around for something negative, and then I see what no is. So I know what is yes and what is no, because the horses show it differently with every person. Mm. Because the energetic frequency is different with everybody. Your yes is different than your no. So when your client is walking around the yes object and thinking of their yes energy, Mm -hmm. you're observing the entire herd or you're observing the horse that's on the lead? With both, both okay. entire herd. Like sometimes what would happen is that you would have horses coming in and they would block the route. Mm. So then you see, okay, you've got the entire herd coming in, there's a block, or they would just cross the path, or they would interfere in whichever other way, or the horses would stop and block and just be like, I'm not moving an inch, or they would react very scared or like whatever happens. So there are different ways to have a yes and a no. And that's kind of my job to interpret that. Got it. (laughs) Have you ever had it happen where the horse's reaction to yes energy is something that you would traditionally feel like is no energy? Yeah, it happened once. And that was particularly because the person's thoughts were not clean. What Mm. do I mean with that? So- I was working with a leader and the day before he had just found out that his cousin went missing. So mm-hmm. whilst we were doing the coaching session and we were practicing yes and no, mm-hmm. the horse kept glitching. So it kept like stopping and it was like this. So it was like a phase of positive and then it was like this. And then mm-hmm. I get a phase of, and then it was like, this is weird. So I asked him, I was like, listen, is there anything going on in your mind? Like, are you really focusing on this or is there something that is distracting you? Because I see the horse is like, There are many nuances where the horse is reacting. Yeah. And I cannot pinpoint that. So are you, what are you thinking about? And then he told me this about his cousin. I was like, okay, I understand. Well, we'll just take it easy. We'll go with it. But that was the only instance Mm. where it was very unclear that it was a yes. Sometimes the no is a bit harder to see. 
Like okay. no could be something, anything from like, it's slower in speed mm. or it's a bit more like they have to pull a bit more. Or mm-hmm. So typically the horse's energy is also going to reflect what we would consider to be a yes energy and yeah. what we would consider to be a no energy. Got it. So you'll observe that when they're going around the yes object, when they're going around the no object, and then are you sort of letting the herd decide whether it's a yes or a no? Like, are they going to go to the object that's a yes or a no? How does the decision point happen? The decision point happens that you just notice the difference between what is energetic yes for you and what is energetic no for you. And so when you then say A and B, you see very clearly how does the horse react you have on the lead? How does the herd react? But it would never be like that they all go to the thing. If they go to the thing whilst you're walking around, that's more of a block usually. Mm. But it depends. Like I interpret the energy of what I see because sometimes them all going there and just like standing there whilst you're already relaxed and standing there is a different energy than you're trying to walk around and they just go in your way, right? Like you feel the difference between what they do. And one of the other exercises, for example, that I love doing is I tell them you need to manifest a particular horse to come to you. So that means I put Mm. them in in the field with six horses and I'm like, Mm -hmm. you need to decide before you go in there, which one you want. And then you need to manifest Mm -hmm. that particular one to come to you. Ah. So that is a very particular manifestation frequency to attract this particular one and not to act like a predator. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm so fascinated because I've never heard anything like this before. I just keep saying the word unique, 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 because (laughs) it's like, wow, what a one of a kind experience. So for anyone listening, that's like, um, yes, I want to manifest with horses. I want to work on my confidence and my leadership with horses. (laughs) How do they connect with you? So I have a website, I have Instagram, I have Facebook, and in all of them, it's Nadia Bersh. So it's always my full name. Uh, my website is nadiabersh.com. They can connect with me on any channel by um, messenger. I am actually planning to start doing this also in California. So in Santa Ynez Valley, I have a cooperation partner that is going to do, that has allowed me to work with their horses, with their Arabian horses. So it's, uh, yeah, I'm excited to start that there. So fun. I've spent time in Santa Ynez Valley. So everyone listening, it's gorgeous. It's wine country and there's amazing horse farms. I've been on an Arabian horse tour of Santa Ynez Valley before. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that it's a really beautiful place. There's a very lovely energy as well. And like you say, I think there's a bonus of having like, you know, the vibe with the wine and just like, ah, you come there and you're like, ah, this is nice. It's a very relaxing atmosphere. Very, very good energy. That's amazing. Well, we'll make sure that all of your links are in the show notes so that people can connect with you. (laughs) And as a final question, so like one of my missions is to help women discover and embody their lux life. So Mm -hmm. I would love to just hear from you. What does your lux life look like? What does my luxury life look like? I love manifesting experiences. So for me, it's manifesting out of this world thing that people don't have access to normally. This is really for me what the luxury life is and having access to connections that other people don't have access to. I think that's the main thing, really the main thing. And yeah, every day 
I go out and see my horses and they are luxury objects themselves. I just look mm-hmm. at them and the way they run and the way they just look at you and everything. I'm just mesmerized. So I'm just like, oh, <laughs> that's luxury for me also. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank Bye. Thank you so much for having me. How fascinating was that interview with Nadia? I am so curious to hear all your takeaways. Please go to Instagram, tag at Nadia Borsch. Let her know that you listened. Tag me at M Makes Money. We would be so thrilled to know that you listened to the episode. We'd be so curious to hear what landed for you. And many of you probably are pet owners and have worked with horses, dogs, cats, like had these animals around you. And I would just love to know if you feel like they're picking up on your energy and helping you to really decipher what's going on and step into your mission and your power. So my top takeaways from the show, number one, as one of my mentors, Amber Liliestrom always says, if the dream is in you, it is for you. And I just love that Natasha had the dream of being involved with horses and just what an incredible way that's all unfolded. Number two, examining the areas of our lives where we're not applying our newer mindset and our law of attraction beliefs, and then putting them to work there. So Natasha had all of these beliefs that she just wasn't applying to horses and horse breeding. And as soon as she did, magical things started happening. Number three, playing the what if game when things don't go according to plan and imagining an outcome that's even better. Number four, how can we combine things that we love in a way that feels totally unique and fresh? I love horses. I love leadership coaching. How can I combine them? And number five, everything is energy. So our energy can be reflected back to us by other people, life circumstances, and yes, also through animals. So with that, thank you so much for tuning into the show. My next interview is with Natasha Nicole Harris. She is an incredible spiritual mentor and she reads Akashic records. So if you've ever been curious about Akashic records, I dig into that with her. What are they? How does she work with them to find out things from past lives and how they're impacting our current lives? So it's an absolutely fascinating interview. Make sure that you tune in for it. And as always, thank you so much for supporting the show. When you leave a review, when you share this show with your friends, when you share it on social media, it really helps this to grow. So I thank you from the bottom of my heart and I will talk to you soon. You guys are the best. Thank you so much for listening today. When you subscribe, review, and share this show, it's an important and free way to show your support. I'd also love to stay connected on Instagram. You can follow me at mmakesmoney. And if you're curious about working together, head to emilywilcox.com to explore. Until next time, I'm sending you all the magic money vibes.